The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. I'm going to invite up. Thanks for coming. Hope you guys are having a good conference so far. I'm about my good friend Sheffy, and she's just going to give a little testimony about um, establishing disciples. And um, then I'll get up. And yeah, so come on up, Chef. Right. <laughs> I kind of like this. It just feels yeah, like nice much more <laughs> intimate like that. So, okay. Oh, my notes here. <clears throat> okay, so uh, my, I'm married to Zach. He's on uh, been on staff for about eight years, and so for about six of those years, I've had ministry on campus, and um, I got to disciple a group of girls from about their sophomore year through graduation. And so um, for this testimony, I was just th- trying to think of like what was the biggest lesson that I think the Lord taught me through that time, and uh, so yeah, that's what I'm going to share. Um, let's see. Yeah. So, um, I guess, sorry, my notes are different than when I put them on my computer. <laughs> a little thumbing for a loop. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, so I think, uh, when I was thinking about this, I was like, what, what are kind of big takeaways? And, um, I think that th- what I came away from that time realizing was just like, um, discipleship is best in the context of relationship and I know that's like a phrase that you will hear and it's thrown around a lot but um I think the the word that stuck out to me was like friendship and so with the girls I discipled so when I came when I started when I was about to disciple them I thought that like my experience my knowledge and my um influence or my example would be the most helpful thing to them, but on the back end now, so they're about two years out of college, um, I'm realizing I think it was just like my friendship with them, and um, so there's like two pieces that I wanted to talk about, and the first piece was um, when you're, I guess this goes for any friendship that you have, but with any friendship, if it's genuine, you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to be self-sacrificing. And as I walked through life with those girls, what I realized was just like, it was just hard. It's like there are times that they hurt me. There are times that they like, um, even on like small levels, like betrayed me. There are times that, um, <clears throat> yeah, there's lots, lots of joys too. There are times that they like just uh, encouraged me and loved me. And um, But I think the like a word that, like two words that, I didn't expect to feel was just like embarrassing and like painful when I think of just like okay I got to they got to watch me you know really f- like fail at times and I failed them at times and I had to like reconcile with them and um and it was just sweet because it's just like and that that happens in the like context of like normal friendships too um but I'm convinced that probably the most helpful thing for them was to like watch that process so it's like they were getting like a front row seat to what God was doing like in my life, you know, more than I was like telling him these like really, you know, smart things. And I think it's like um, even the lost can enjoy like, you know, meeting up with someone like instructing, instructing them, you know, like to have a one on one once a week where you like sit down with someone and like impart wisdom to them and like teach them and they think you're super smart. It's like that's not. Uh, yeah, that's just pretty anyone would want to do that. But I think entering in with someone to a point where it's like 
they can actually like see your like nasty side and sometimes they experience that and you have to apologize and um, they just watch the Lord like work in your heart and you just kind of transform before their eyes. Um, yeah, I just think that happens in the context of a friendship, you know? And so I think that's probably the most impactful thing that I was able to do for them is to just be transparent, be vulnerable, and let them watch the Lord change me. And um, the second thing that I feel like I learned that I would just like to encourage you guys to think about is, um, so when I um, started discipling them, I was, I was about five years older than the girls I discipled, and I was married the entire time, and for a good chunk of the time I had kids. And it was easy for me to feel like there's a pretty big gap between like where I am spiritually and where they are spiritually um, because I like, have all these experiences that they haven't had. I've walked the Lord a lot longer. And um, I think it just over time, <clears throat> I learned to just see it more like, like we're in a marathon of a Christian life. It's like a lifelong time where the Lord's changing us and maturing us. And really, on the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not that much farther ahead than them. You know, it's like I am, I have walked the Lord many more years, and I had, do have more experience in them in a lot of ways. But um, that attitude, I think, really helped foster a genuine friendship where it's just like, man, I'm learning a lot from these girls. The Lord is, like, teaching me things through them, through their experience, through their knowledge. And, um, and I think for you guys, it's like, especially if you're discipling students, there's really going to be a pretty small gap and it's going to close really quickly. And probably about the time you guys graduate, you know, you're going to be very much like in similar spots spiritually. And, um, yeah, I just think that reality and like treating them that way really cultivates like a deep friendship. And so anyway, those are the two things is, and I guess just to kind of close it out, um, yeah, I just encourage you guys. The simplest way I think I could say it is, is when you're stepping into a discipleship relationship, just work really hard to um, p- press into that friendship. And with any friendship you have, you're going to feel this tension of this is hard. I don't want to be vulnerable. Like I'm giving you the keys to like hurt, hurt me at times. Um, you know, I'm being open with you with just what God's doing in my heart, you know, and I'm also giving you the keys to where it's like to love me and encourage me and like the humility to do that. Um, and just to, you know, if you f- don't feel that you're in that tension at times with your disciples, just to go back and think like, am I viewing this more like we just meet and I like tell you things and I counsel you or I teach you, you know, um, because I really am convinced that that's the most transformational thing you can do for them. And I think it's a lot harder, but I think it's a lot better And I think that when we just share, like the scripture says, just our very lives with our disciples, that, um, yeah, I think God uses it to really change them and work in them. So that's all. Thanks, Chef. All right. Hello, family meeting here. This is great. How's everybody doing? You guys doing okay? Good conference so far for everyone? Sweet. So, as you guys probably picked up from Chef, this is the Establishing Disciples Seminar. So, hopefully, you're in the right place. Uh, we're going to talk about um, some practical ways to establish um, disciples over the next little while. Um, I'm trying to keep a close eye on the time, make sure I don't go too long. I know we've had a million talks that we've listened to <laughs> over the last couple of days, so I'm sure you guys are tired. But hopefully, that could be engaging for you guys and we'll walk away with some cool stuff. And so. Um, so my name is Nate Holt. I am the resource director 
for Campus Outreach Central Illinois. I have been uh, the director for the past three months, so I'm still new in the shoes. And so um, came on staff with Campus Outreach a little over a year ago, so just, just finished my first year. And uh, I graduated college from Eastern Illinois University, home of the Panthers. No alumni in here, but that's okay. Athens in here, her husband was my roommate in college, so we were great friends. Um, and uh, anyway, so I graduated May of 2016 from there, so about a year and a half ago. I got married in November of 2016, so just a couple months after I graduated. And the Lord surprised us in April of 2017 with a surprise pregnancy. And so my wife actually isn't even here, where our due date is in one week. And so we are going to be having um, a baby girl in about a week. And so I have my phone right here. And if it goes off and rings and she calls, I'll be leaving. And so I told her not to call unless she's going into labor. So if that call comes, we'll know that it's time to leave. And so you guys can just leave if that happens. But hopefully, I don't think that'll happen. I think everything should be okay with that. So hopefully, we'll get through this and the rest of the conference before that happens. And so, um, so yeah, I uh, I am, as you probably guessed, I'm not that old. I'm just 23 years old. And so I'm not um, some really knowledgeable person on the topic of discipling. My discipling experiences include uh, my sophomore, junior, and senior year of college. I was discipled by Sheffy's husband, Zach, um, at Eastern Illinois. And then my junior and senior year of college, I discipled four guys uh, at Eastern Illinois as well. And so I, I do not have extensive knowledge on the subject. I've been taught more about this than I've experienced, I think. And so uh, hopefully I can just pass a, a few things off to you guys um, in this talk uh, that can be helpful. But just, again, I'm not the all-knowing one, so I'm sure there's all kinds of things that I'm going to learn um, in the years to come about establishing disciples. And so um, so just to, just to kind of kick us off, I kind of left a sheet of paper on your guys' thing, and so we'll get to those five T's in a minute. Um, they're, pretty, they're pretty lame. My wife told me they were, but I wanted to come up with something cool um, to hand you guys to help you remember maybe some things um, about establishing, but we'll get to that in a second. So establishing, you guys can kind of think of establishing as like the groundwork or the system that's going to carry your disciples for the rest of their lives. And so I'm not an architect. I don't know very much about architecture at all. But I do know this, that a good building or a good house is a really solid foundation. If it doesn't, the building's going to collapse or the house is going to cave in or sink into the ground or something terrible is going to happen. And so the, the beginning phases in a Christian's life and a discipleship relationship are so key and they're so important. And so that's what we're going to talk about, just some, some groundwork, th- groundwork things. And so uh, what establishing isn't is um, equipping. And what equipping is is my buddy Jeff Beckett is going to be in this room right after me giving a talk about um, teaching your disciples to share their faith and the best ways to do that. And so it's, it's not focusing on their fruit of their lives. I remember when I first began discipling, the first thing was like, ah, they're not sharing their faith. They're not, they don't really seem to care about the loss, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, that really is okay. And maybe even the, the um, opposite of that would happen. Maybe they're, they're social butterflies and they're out there just sharing their faith with the whole world. And that's exciting too. But regardless of which other, whichever one of those things is happening, the key thing in establishing is to keep your focus on your disciples, not on their ministry fruit in the establishing phase. You've got to sit there and you have to focus on their growth. Otherwise, you're going to make them a means to an end, and it's going to end up terribly. And so, um, and I think um, 
just in establishing, one last thing before we get started is to have a high bar in establishing, but to have your expectations be somewhat lower. You know, like they're, they're young Christians. Uh, they're going to make all kinds of mistakes and everything like that, but to have clear expectations and clear commitments coming in uh, to the establishing relationship I think is going to be really key to that. And so one thing that I did, this is obviously just optional, but I found it to be really helpful. Um, so I had a, a D group, a discipleship group with my disciples every week. Uh, we would get together and talk about God's Word, read a good spiritual book together, um, stuff like that. But at the beginning of the semester, what I would do is I would print out a one-page sheet, and I would have them read it, and it would kind of be like their contract to be in my D group or whatever, to be discipled by me, just to kind of let them know, hey, here's the things that are going to be expected of you this semester if you're going to enter into this relationship. If you don't want these things, then we don't have to do this. And so I think to have a high bar but to keep the expectations somewhat low that the second that they don't meet one of those things to kick them out of your D group, I don't think is the answer. I think to have grace and to have mercy with them, but also at the same time um, letting them know that this is kind of the expectation. If they fall short of that um, later down the road, that that's okay. And so um, so last thing I'll say before we get in is this is not going to be anything groundbreaking. This isn't this, you're not about to learn some new theological whatever, and, and you guys might walk out of here saying, man, that was a really simple, hello, come on in. Oh, sorry, you're no, come on in, it's okay. Welcome, we're just getting started. Thank you. Um, so you guys might walk out of here saying, man, that was the simplest seminar I've ever heard in my entire life. And honestly, that's kind of the point. Like, I, I want you guys to walk out of here saying, man, that's simple. Like, that's simple. Like, anybody can do that, and that's a fact that everyone can. But the one thing on the opposite of that that I don't want you to say is that I just get to kick back and take it easy. And that's just off the opposite of what I want. I want you guys to say, man, that's simple. And if I can do these, these five simple things really well and devote my life to doing these five things consistently, I think you guys are going to be able to um, establish some disciples that hopefully... Excuse me, that was disgusting. I had some pizza for lunch. Um, can, uh, can be um, established in the, the foundation of their life, the rest of their walk uh, with Christ can be built upon. And so uh, these are not the only five things you can do. I just think they're five really foundational things. And so without further ado, we can jump in. So the first one is transformative leadership. Um, and so... Again, I tried really hard to make these five T's, and so <laughs> sometimes I'd use words that just, whatever. So, but anyways, transformative leadership is really just a fancy way of saying that the most important thing that you can do for your disciples is to lead yourself. You have to. And I'm not trying to be mean by saying this, but if you don't lead yourself well, if you don't take yourself back to God's Word, if you don't go spend extended time in prayer and get away and listen to sermons and whatever it is that fuels your whole soul, listen to spiritual songs or whatever it is, if you're not transforming yourself, if you're not leading yourself, you're going to be the worst leader. And I know this from experience because I've done it. And so the thing that you have to do is you have to take yourself back and lead yourself well. The temptation, excuse me, the temptation that I think that a lot of people feel when they're in the establishing discipleship relationship is that they have to go out and they got to make sure they have all the right things to say at D group and all the right verses. And, the, and for the one-on-ones, you have all their next action steps lined up well. And all those things are really important. Don't me, hear me say that those things aren't important. But what I would do, which was terrible when I began establishing disciples, was I would sit there on the days of my D groups and I wouldn't really spend that much time in the Word or in prayer, but I would spend hours 
explaining my D group and all these things. I just think that was such a mistake. What would have been way more helpful for my disciples in that moment is if I would have taken some time and prayed for them and spent some time in the Word and spent some time feeding my own soul so that the overflow of my heart could pour over into their lives. And so I think um, it's got to be near the top of our list because if we don't do that, if we don't take ourselves back to God's Word, if we don't meditate in prayer, what we begin to do is we begin to lead our disciples by our own power and our own wisdom. And I promise you, no one wants that. No one is more powerful than God. No one is more wise. No one loves them more than God does. And so when we begin to do that, when we begin to not lead our souls well, then um, we begin to lead under our own authority, which isn't what we want. And so I think one thing that's so key when you're establishing your disciples, I think it's key for all Christians, but especially when you're in a relationship with new disciples, is that you have a weekly schedule and you have your times of word and prayer and you block those things off like they're the most important thing that you, they can, that you can do because it is uh, for your disciples' growth. So to have those consistent times um, in the word, I think is going to be really key. So lead yourselves well. That is the first T, transformative leadership. Um, so the second one is time. And so... The phrase that we kind of throw around uh, campus outreach that I think I always heard and knew what it meant but never really experienced it until I began leading disciples myself is more is caught than taught. Uh, you, you might have even heard that on your campuses. And so, um, and just what that means is your disciples are going to remember way more of what they see as opposed to the things that you teach them. And I think um, if you read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, every time Jesus is there, most times... His disciples are with him. He's living life with his disciples. I think that we see the principle of time and the discipleship relationship very well with Jesus as he loved and spent a lot of time with his disciples. Um, and so I think we can learn a lot from that from him. And so there's a cool story um, that God worked out in my life. I'd love to share with you guys. Not for any means that Nate's the man because I'm not, um, but because God is awesome and he's glorious and he's working all things for his good. I think he cares that we spend time with those that we're going to lead. Um, and so my sophomore year of college, my second semester, I, uh, I applied to be an RA, a resident assistant at the school that I was at. I'm sure you guys probably have some variation of that at your schools. Um, and uh, I applied pretty, pretty certain that I was going to get it. I didn't have any reason to think that I wasn't going to get it. And so I applied. And, and so the, it's weird, the application process, at least at the school I went to, works that you apply, and then in March, in January, and then in March, you find out. So it's a two-month gap of like, oh, what am I going to do next year? I don't know. <laughs> you know. And so all my friends go out and get roommates. And so I'm kind of left in the dust just saying I'm going to be an RA. And then when March rolls around, I get a phone call saying, hey, Nate, you're not going to be an RA. It was kind of like, great, well, what do I do now? You know. And so um, my sophomore year of college is the time in life where I began sharing my faith for the very first time ever. I'd never really shared my faith before. Um, and so I was in the middle of the process of sharing my faith with my buddy Miles. You might have seen him around here. He's got the backwards hat, the long brown curly hair. Um, we're good friends. And so anyways, what's up? Oh, yeah, he was just in here a minute ago. Good point. Um, and uh, anyways, and so me and him had been doing these things called the journey books together. They're just these evangelistic books that we use at our campuses. Anyways, um, we've been going through them together for a couple weeks. And I had kind of sort of 
mounted some type of living situation for the next year. It wasn't good. It sucked. Everything had to change. I didn't really know the guys I live with and blah, blah. And so anyways, uh, me and Miles were doing uh, the last journey book. And I really do believe that night that he came to know the Lord. It was really, really cool. And uh, so the next day I'm meeting to this is this is a serious timeline. Wednesday night that happens. Okay. The next day, I meet with the guy who discipled me, Zach. He's like, Nate, what if you live with Miles next year? And I was like, oh, gosh, man. I just you know, don't know that guy that well. He just, I think, became a Christian. What if this doesn't pan out? What if he ends up hating me? You know, blah, blah, blah. So um, we decided it would be best for me to take a leap of faith and step out and live with Miles. So that was Thursday. And then Monday, we went to housing services, and we signed some papers, and we decided we are going to live in an all-freshman dorm together. I was going to be a junior, and he was going to be a sophomore. And so we did that, and then um, just, I said, that was on Monday. Tuesday, okay, the next day, I get a phone call. Guess who it is? It's the residence place, the RA place. So like, hey, Nate, um, one of the RAs backed out. We would like for you to be an RA in Fort Hall. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know what I mean, this is unbelievable. And so, man, I remember being like, hey, I'll get back to you, blah, blah, and hang up. And I just remember almost audibly hearing God just being like, Nate, who do you love more? Do you love yourself more or do you love me more than my, than my children? It's because I was remembering Fort Hall, um, you guys, that didn't mean anything to you guys, but it was an upperclassman dorm. I would have been over like 10 seniors. I would have got free room and board. I would have got a paycheck every month. I even thought about it. I was like, I could come over to this dorm building and spend some time with, I knew I was going to lead the guys the next year with my disciples and Blah, blah, But God was like, no, Nate, that's not the lifestyle that Christians live. Christians live difficult lives. Christians live lives that are surrendered over to the king. And so um, I made the decision to go and live with Miles and be with him because I think time is so valuable in the discipleship relationship. I didn't quite know that yet at the time, but looking back, I can just see how valuable it was. And so I lived with him in the dorms my junior year, and then I lived with him and another one of my disciples my senior year in a three-person dorm. And then Another one of my disciples lived right across the hall. So we basically all just lived together. Um, and I know that's not always possible. I'm not telling you guys to move in with your disciples unless you have the opportunity to. Um, but I do think that there's something so valuable in just sharing your life with your disciples. It is so important. That year that I lived with my those years that I lived with my disciples, they got to see me do a lot of cool things. But they also got to see me do a lot of not so cool things. They got to see me wake up and read my Bible in the morning. But they also got to see me snooze my alarm when I told them that I was going to get the next day and get in the Word. They got to see me um, be gracious to them and forgive them and do that with other Christians on the floor when they had wronged us. They also saw me get angry and lose my cool. They got to see a lot of sides of me. But that's the point, I think, is that when you can share your life with your disciples and see them as often as you can, they're going to remember those things. And, and don't hear me say, don't plan for your D groups, you know, nothing that you teach them matters. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if you, you know, if you were to ask my disciples, what do you remember about Nate's D groups? They might not be able to tell you anything, but you know what they can tell you? They can, they can tell you about all the times that they convinced me not to have D group where we normally have it, and we went to Dairy Queen instead. Like, they can remember those times because those times are precious to them. They're valuable, and they remember them, their actions. And so I think the temptation for me, at least when I first started, was like, no, it's a structure. You're going to do this book and this book, and we're going to discuss it for this long and this long. But, man, to show, like Sheffy was saying a minute ago, to show your disciples love, to have that relationship with them, to invite them in and give them the keys to your life. And I just think it's so valuable. It's going to make them feel so loved. It's going to do something that I think 
it, you, you can't create is it's going to build trust. Your, your disciples are only going to listen to you and apply the things that you tell them and, and change and grow as much as they trust you. And I think by spending time with them that you're going to be able to build that trust. So whatever it is that um, you need to do, I think, just to get as much time around your disciples as possible is so key. Um, and I think, too, just kind of going back to what I said a minute ago, we got we to gotta be real with our disciples. There's this idea and this persona that goes around that when you lead people that you got to be this perfect guy that knows everything that doesn't ever screw up and that is just the most hurtful thing for you and for your disciples it won't help anybody the thing that's going to help them obviously not saying to sin in front of them on purpose but for them to see you being a real person and to see you screw up and to see you reconciled to see you ask for forgiveness and so that way whenever they screw up in their lives they're not measuring against this perfect person that they see in front of them they're seeing a real leader who loves jesus and is a sinful heart just like they do who's striving to become more like Christ. And so um, I think it just, I couldn't say it enough that, man, the most, one of the most important things I did in my relationship with those guys was I spent time with them. And I know it's a simple concept, but I just think you can't replace it with anything else. And so more is caught than taught. Spend time with your disciples as much as you can. All right, how are we doing on time? Doing good, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so the third T is to take them back to God's word. And so your disciples can never, ever, ever get enough of God's word. They can't. It's impossible. Neither can you. And so that's why we started with transformative leadership. Um, so don't just give them your inspired thoughts. Take them back to God's word and do it often. As a Christian, hopefully all of us in this room are Christians if we're leading other Christians. Um, but as a Christian, um, the Bible's your authority. It is. It is your ultimate authority more than anything else. And so if, the, if your disciples see the Bible as your ultimate authority, they'll adopt it as theirs, Lord willing. And so we got to treat it as our authority. And so um, actually at this conference a couple of years ago, I had one of my disciples come up to me, and he was going to be a room leader on the summer project that next summer. And uh, he was freaking out, you know. He was like, I can't do it, blah, blah. I don't speak well. I'm not wise. I don't know all the answers, blah, blah. What do I do? Excuse me. Gosh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, and, uh, uh, and what I could have done in that moment is I had all kinds of cool things I'm sure I could have said that even would have lined up with Scripture, you know? They're not even heretical things. But what I did was, I was like, hey, man, I want you to go, and I want you to read Exodus 4, and I want you to come back and talk to me. And he did. I, there it is. Um, and so the part that I really wanted him to highlight, so Moses is there and he's at the burning bush and God's talking to him and God's like hey Moses I want you to go and back to Egypt I want you to be the ambassador for my people and I want you to set my people free and Moses is kind of bartering with God you know he's like but this but that blah 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 and God's giving him he's kind of saying nope you can't worry about that you can't worry about that and then Moses finally goes but Moses said to the Lord oh my Lord I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant." But I am slow speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And so for him, in that moment, I think it was really cool for him to be able to see that Nate didn't just give me his inspired words, inspired thoughts. He took me right to Scripture to hear the mouth of the Lord, of what he has to say. So I share that verse for two reasons. One, for that reason. 
And two, for us, I think that you're never going to be fully ready and equipped to be the best establishing disciple. You know, it's never, that day's never going to come. But the Lord's with you. That same Lord that's talking to Moses is still God in heaven. He still rules. He still reigns. He still creates all things. I think for us to trust him and trust that he has us in the role of leading these people for a reason. And while you may not be the perfect leader, he is. And he's going to work in and through you to do his will. And you want your disciples to be able to see that in his word because it comes up over and over and over again. And so um, I think it's so valuable. Um, So I think another thing to help your disciples with um, practically is to help them develop consistency in getting in the word. And again, as we said a moment ago, they're only going to develop consistency in the word if they can see it in your life. Like, man, Nate loves the Lord and he loves the Lord because he has a consistent time in the word and he's really treating God's word as treasure. And so obviously I think a few things from that, just to read the Bible with your disciples frequently, to set times where you meet for breakfast or lunch or whatever it is, and to sit down to read God's word together and help them to think about reading God's word. Obviously new Christians, I think a lot of times, don't always read the Bible every day, but I think for you to begin the groundwork for them, for them to see it in your life, for you reading God's Word um, every single day is going to be so important. Um, I remember in my D group, we, uh, we said, hey, this year uh, we are going to read the book of Mark together. And we did, and, and we kind of read it, and we would break it up into segments, and I'd say, all right, this week you go read Mark, and we're going to come back here as a D group, and we're going to read it together. And I just... Not that it's like the rule you have to read the same thing in the Bible as your disciples, but man, was it helpful for me. And I just think there's something really powerful about reading the same thing in God's Word and coming in um, and discussing it. So I highly recommend reading um, the same part of the Bible as your disciples and studying it together. And then the last thing I would say um, about God's Word is use God's Word to have hard conversations with your um, disciples. And so... Your disciples are going to be coming in from all different types of life. Maybe it's the person over here, you know, who grew up in church with Christian parents, is a really moral person, and and you see in his life what he struggles with is self-righteousness, you know. Maybe it's that type of person. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, and it's the person who's never been to church and never listened to a spiritual talk in his entire life. He goes out every weekend and gets drunk and hooks up with chicks. Who knows where they're going to fall on that spectrum? But I think for you to see their life and to, and to see it and use God's word to have really hard conversations with them early on. And with that said, just really quick, um, I think it's easy when, it, when disciples become, or when people become Christians and they come into the discipleship role to see all kinds of things in their life and start blowing them up, this and this and this. And I just think that's one way to really discourage your disciples. So I think this, I think take their life as a whole and, and encourage them a lot about things you see many times. Encourage them way more times. And then maybe pick one or two things that you see from their lives and say, hey, what if we worked on this? Because it'd be easy for all of us to, to look at our lives and see all the things that we do wrong. And if we always have someone in our life coming in and saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, it's just discouraging and defeating. And so I think to take one or two things maybe that we see in their life that are more glaring and taking them back to God's Word and saying, hey, here's what God's Word has to say about this. And this is what I've seen in your life. And here's the examples of that or whatever. And to have, you know, three or four or five encouraging things that you see from their lives, I think um, that's a really good way to go about it. And so um, God's word is treasure. It's so great and so beautiful and so perfect, inspired. 
Um, and if we treat it that way and we teach our, our disciples in it that way, I think, um, Lord willing, that they will come to see it in that way as well. The fourth T um, is to talk to God. Um, again, can't make this stuff up. I made these up. My wife told me they were the most uncreative things she's ever seen, but I said I'm going to go with it anyway. So, Anyway, so obviously that's just another way of saying pray. And so I would say this, pray with your disciples and pray for your disciples as often as you can. They might be, they might be your disciples, but they're God's children. I want you guys to think about that. You, you might love them, and you might be friends with them or whatever, but no one, no one loves them like he does. No one could. He, for, he formed them in their mother's womb. He, before the world ever began, ordained everything in human history to lead them to the point when they would be born and brought into your life for this moment where he was going to save them and he was going to lead them. He cares way more about them than you ever could. So I think it's a mistake, a huge mistake, for us not to bring our disciples before the Lord as often as we can. Pray for your disciples. It is one of the greatest things you can do for them. I, what I did is I just had a couple note cards with my disciples' names on it. And I would just go through that note card every day and sometimes multiple times a day just praying and praying for my disciples, bringing their cases before the Lord. And I think, too, if you're praying for them and you're always asking them, hey, man, how can I be praying for you? And you're writing it down, you're praying about it, and then you're following up with them about it. They're going to say, man, Nate, Nate thinks prayer is important. Nate prays, and Nate prays for me. He prays for me. He loves me. And I think that that's just going to give them such a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian and someone who's in a Christian discipleship relationship. And so um, to pray uh, for your disciples and then to pray with your disciples. Uh, one thing I did just practically, well, two things. One was just uh, I went on prayer walks with my disciples. It's simple. You just go outside and and you walk together and you pray. And if it's cold outside, you'll find some coats. You know, I just think there's something about it uh, that is really special to the discipleship relationship. It was really helpful. And then, obviously, I live with my disciples, which is unique. Um, but we prayed every night before bed. And it was really cool. And so I think it's just one uh, type of thing. But just whatever your system is, I don't care if you put something in your backpack or on your desk or whatever. But just to have some type of system where you are consistently praying for your disciples, I think, is one of the most loving and helpful things that you can do for them. Um, and so if your disciples see you consistently praying and asking how you can pray for them, I really do think that they're going to be people who love prayer. Um, and what I did, again, just kind of bringing it back to Morris Cawthon taught, you know, we did an entire semester where we read the book Prayer by Tim Keller, and it was awesome. It was really sweet. We talked a lot about prayer, and we did a lot of things with prayer. Um, but again, if your disciples don't see you praying, if they don't see it in your life, if you don't pray with them, you can give all the seminars and read all the books on prayer you want. They just won't fall in love with prayer. They have to see you doing it in front of them, modeling it for them. And the goal um, ultimately is to you know, raise up disciples who make disciples. And so you want your disciples to be people who love prayer so that one day uh, when they have disciples of their own, they can pass the torch of prayer onto them. And so, uh, the last T, uh, doing good on time, this is great, excuse me, is together in worship. So, um, this is just a fancy way, again, of saying, bring your disciples to church with you. God's vehicle that he has chosen to reach the world is the church. As you can't come up with any other conclusion when you read the Bible, God is using the church 
to reach the world. And so we want our disciples to be a part of that vehicle um, of God. I think it's very, very clear, especially if you read the book of Acts. That's, that's God's plan. And so you guys probably already know this. This is probably like I'm preaching to the choir. But Campus Outreach is not a church. Um, as great as they are and uh, as many great things, obviously I'm on staff with them. I think they're pretty great. Um, but Campus Outreach isn't in the church. They can come to weekly prayer on Sunday nights or weekly meetings on campus or deacon prayer. I mean, those are great, and I hope that all of your disciples continue to go to those things. But Campus Outreach isn't a church. It's not trying to function as a church. It is an extension of the local church, and hopefully the staff on your campus um, are letting you know that. But I think for you to do whatever it takes to get your disciples to come to church with you, it's going to matter um, a lot. And so what would be just terrible is if, you know, in three or four years when your disciples graduate, if the only thing they were ever involved in was campus outreach. Because campus outreach isn't just out in the world. It's a, it's a college ministry. It's there for just a few years. And then if they get spit out into the real world and they were never involved in a local church, um, I think it's just going to be terrible for everyone. So get them involved. Um, because the hope is one day that, that your disciples can be key leaders in the church, that they can see the importance of the church and come in and not be a consumer of the church saying this sucks or that sucks, but to come in and say, man, how can I help this church grow and thrive, whether that's reading scripture or watching kids in the children's ministry or whatever it might be, but for your disciples one day to be a part of that and for them to see you, again, doing that now in the church, being an active member of the church and for them to see that you love the church and that you're about the mission of the church. You want to get your disciples to the point where it's not a question of whether or not they're going to wake up on church for church on Sunday mornings. And I think something that I did actually even a few times, sadly, that is one of the biggest disservices that you can do for your disciples is to stay up on Saturday night till 3 a.m. playing video games with them and then just to sleep through church and then your D group next week talk about how important church is. It's like, man, your life, I know, it, again, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And if that happens, it really is okay. But what you want is for your disciples to see, man, Nate is committed to going to church. He goes there and he brings me along with him. And so for them to be able to see that as well. And so I remember uh, in the dorm just going and knocking on people's doors. Hey, man, it's time for church. It's like I'm wearing sweatpants. Like, I don't care. You know, we're going to church. And so we just bring them along with you um, to come to church. And I think if you do that, that they'll see the importance and the value of it. And so uh, going to church on Sunday mornings does not make you a Christian. We know that. Uh, but Christians go to church on Sunday mornings. And I, want, I think for your disciples to be able to see and to know that from your life is, is really valuable. Um, so just a couple things by way of conclusion. Um, I read a book last year that was really helpful. I just took a lot of things from this talk from it. It's called Discipleship by Alan Hadidian. Sadly, it's not up at the bookstore I Tried to have them order it, but it's really hard to order mass amounts of that book. Um, but it was really helpful. It looks weird, and it was written in the 70s. There's some things in there that are a little old school. But uh, by and large, it gives a lot of great truth to establishing disciples. And so it's got a weird picture on the front. It's like two old guys like holding hands, praying for each other. It's kind of weird. But um, just look past that. The, con- the content of the book is great, I promise. It's really good. Um, and so... I think uh, if you were looking for a good book to read, that would be a recommendation. Um, again, there's just a temptation to instill, to come into the discipleship relationship. Man, I'm going to tell them all the things that I know and all the theology and knowledge and blah, blah, all that stuff. And I think that there's a time and place for all that stuff. And I think that it can be beneficial. But man, if you guys can commit to doing just a few simple things and doing them well and doing them consistently in front of your disciples and for your disciples, 
I think they're going to have a solid foundation to where in the years to come they can build uh, a giant building, so to speak, um, and their walks with Jesus for the rest of their life. So work hard to do your part. Don't sit back and just say, man, God's got my disciples. Okay, I don't have to do anything. No, there's, there really is a responsibility on our end to disciple them well and to do these things well. But don't muddy the waters. Don't get invested trying to do God's part. Only God can uh, provide the growth inside of their heart. You can't do that. Do, be, be faithful. Do your part. And trust the Lord with the rest. I really do think uh, that God can uh, build up your disciples into people that will love them for the rest of their lives, which is what we want. And so uh, that is all that I have. Thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, I hope you guys have good New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve today. So. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.